Today, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to look at just five verses in the Bible and and Jesus' interaction with someone, a, a group of people, and what we can glean from that today. So today, we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. What is required of me? What do I have to give? We find our text here in Matthew chapter 4. Now the timer can start, okay? (laughs) Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who we know as Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. You might have heard it this way. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And at once, everyone say at once. At once. They left what they were doing. They left their nets and followed Jesus. Going on from there, Jesus saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father. His name is still Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately, everyone say immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. And that's a great story for Bible times, but what does that mean for us today? What is God asking us to do when he calls us to follow him? Hey, before we get started, can I just pray over you? God, we just thank you for this opportunity. God, we we thank you for what we have already experienced in this place God, I think of that song, that, that the words to that song are still resonating in my heart, that God, if, you're, if we're not dead, then you're not done with us. And I know that there's people that have walked into this place probably in some anguish and desperation thinking that God is done with them and help them leave knowing, God, that you are on their side, that you are not done with them, that this is not the end of the line, but, but this is just the beginning. God, you take dead things and you make them new again. We pray, God, your word is inspired. It is God breathe, and I pray that you breathe it into everyone's heart this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, so Jesus has this interaction with four men, Peter and Andrew, James and John. They are just simply fishermen, and Jesus comes to them and says, come, follow me. And immediately, for some reason, they just left everything where it was and went and followed him. And the first thing that I want you to know about what it means to follow Jesus is this, that Jesus calls ordinary people. Jesus calls ordinary people to follow him. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were just fishermen out on the lake. And that might, what, that might be what it looks like on the surface, but in order to really understand the weight of what is going on in this interaction, I'm just going to give you a little insight to what happened in the Jewish culture. So to them, Jesus would have been a Jewish rabbi. He would have been somebody, rabbi just means teacher or master. They understood who Jesus was. They're in the region of Galilee, and this is where Jesus lived. So we know that they know who he is. They've heard of the story of Mary. They know that they know who Jesus is. The Bible even says that by the age of 12, Jesus was teaching in the temple. So they've heard of this guy. This guy is important already. He's not as famous as he's going to be, but they already know who this person is. And every Jewish kid wants to follow a rabbi. 
And they learn that in school. So this is what Jewish school looks like. From the age of six to 10, every single Jewish person goes to a school and it's called Beit Sefer. From the age of six to 10, what they do is they learn the Torah. And the Torah is just the law or it's uh, interpreted the way. And it's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they learn this because this is a literal interpretation of a commandment in Deuteronomy that, that God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. And you need to talk about these things when you're lying down, when you're waking up in the morning. Memorize them, teach them to your children, write them on your doorpost. So every child from the age of six to 10 learned the first five books of the Bible. The first five books. Can I, can I, did anybody bring a Bible? I'm just going to show you what that looks like. Every person by the age of 10, let me see, I'm, I'm already too far, knows this much scripture. By the age of 10. So they end Beit Sefer and a decision is made. And it's not a decision that's that's made up by the person in that position, but it's a decision that is made for them. So at the end of Beit Sefer, 10 years old, there's a fork in the road. And the best of the best of the best are gonna go on to more schooling to see if they can become a rabbi. But if you're not quite good enough, if you don't show the potential of the others, if you just weren't smart enough, what you're going to do is you're just going to go to the family trade. You're going to learn something that can contribute to society. But if you are the best of the best of the best, you're going to go on. And from ages 10 to 13, you're going to go to what's called Beit Talmud. And what happens from 10 to 13 is you're going to learn the rest of the Old Testament. Okay, from Genesis to Malachi. 13-year-olds that made it this far knew the entire Old Testament. And when I say Old Testament, this was the entire scripture to them. Because remember, we're in Matthew. Jesus is starting his ministry. So the whole scripture to them is just the Old Testament. So from ages 10 to 13, they learn the entirety of the Old Testament. And then another fork in the road comes. And it's a decision that's not made for them, but it's going to impact the rest of their life. And the best of the best of the best, the best of the best are going to go on to more schooling. And then we're going to have a conversation with the other ones, right? You just, you didn't show enough promise. You didn't have enough potential. These people are better than you are. So you know what you're going to do? You're going to follow what your predecessors have done that are already not as smart as you are. You're going to find yourself in the family trade. What can you help with society? And then you go, the, the best of the best go to bait Midrash. And then that's when they learn how to answer questions and interpret scripture. And after that's over, what they really, really want to do is follow a rabbi so they can see what he does, so they can emulate what he does, so they can be one day a rabbi themselves. So that gives a little bit more context to this interaction with Jesus and Peter and James and John and Andrew. Where do we find Peter, James, John, and Andrew? They're fishermen. They are doing the family trade, which means what? At some point along the way, they had that conversation of, you're, you're just not good enough. You're just not smart enough. We see more potential in this group over here than we see in you. They were just ordinary people. 
And what did they do? They left everything they had and immediately went and followed Jesus. Why? Because they understood the weight of this man and the urgency of his mission. So today, I don't, I don't, I don't want to ruffle any feathers here, but I stand in a church among ordinary people. And that's hard for us, right? We want to be the best. I mean, we have social media to prove that. Look at my house. Is it better than yours? Maybe, I don't know. Look at my marriage. Look at my family. We never fight. We have the perfect marriage. We are the best of the best. If you're getting a new job, you put your resume out there. You put trigger words because you want to stand out. You want to show that you are better than the competition. And Jesus says, hey, when I call you, you don't have to worry about any of that. You don't have to worry about any of that. I am just looking for willing people that will drop everything when I call them and say yes to my will. Yes to my will. So the disciples were found fishing. They were simply in their family trade. They were doing what they knew, and they found the opportunity that they wished they could have had, right? Every kid wanted to make it all the way through school and go and follow a rabbi, and little did they know what was coming next. What benefit did they have from following Jesus? Man, they saw miracles. They saw signs. They saw wonders. They communed with Jesus every single day and every single night, and can I tell you this? Jesus, as he was leaving, turns to his disciples and say, hey, I've done everything that I can do. You're going to take it from there, which they probably knew was going to happen. Hey, you're the next in line. But then he says something else. The things that I've done, hey, you're going to do better things than those. You're going to do greater things than those because I am going to my father. I've instilled things in you and you said yes. So greater things are going to be done through you. God is not looking for the Michael Jordan of Christians. He is not looking for Warren Buffett sitting in this room right now. Are there any more people that I should name? I don't know. <laughs> throw one out. Somebody throw one out. He's not, okay. <laughs> he is looking for Tom Brady because Tom Brady's just ordinary. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus is simply looking for you where you sit right now. And I know what happens a lot of times in Christianity, and this happens to me a lot. My, my pastor, he, he's a fad guy. Like he gets on these fads and he's like, hey, everyone has to jump on board. And his fad right now is Orange Theory. And he was like, Jared, you gotta go to Orange Theory with me, dude. And this is my thought process about Orange Theory because I've seen their social media. I'm like, man, I gotta get in shape to go to Orange Theory, right? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Like, man, I can't be walking in there huffing and puffing after the first two or three minutes. I got to get myself in shape so I can go get in shape. And I think that's somehow, sometimes how we view Christianity. I will say yes to God, but I got to get my house in order first. I, gotta, I will say yes to God, but I've got I've to make myself better first. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to stop everything that you're doing right now. Drop it all and come and follow me. So not only does Jesus call ordinary people, but I, I want to be upfront about this, that following Jesus costs us something. It costs us something. If you watch TBN, it doesn't cost you anything. If you just follow Jesus, you're going to have a plane, you're going to have a Rolex. If you just give a little bit more money, God is just going to bless you entirely. But can I tell you what the true gospel is? That it is going to cost you something. 
And this is something that Jesus is very upfront about. You signed the contract. It, it isn't in the fine print. He wants you to know up front that it is going to cost you something. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my follower must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Now, I'm sure some of you have been headhunted. I'm sure some of you have been recruited. You, you probably don't walk into a, uh, a recruiter's office and they just tell you every terrible thing about the company. <clears throat> they probably don't tell you, yeah, our culture's not really that great and there's sometimes that you're gonna be super frustrated. So think about it. <laughs> but Jesus wants to be very clear from the beginning that, hey, if you're gonna be my follower, you are going to have to take up your cross and follow me. I love how it says in the message, this is another translation, then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. They had cars back then. I don't know if you know that. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Don't run from suffering, just embrace it. Follow me and I will show you help. How? Listen to what he says now. Next, self-help is no help at all. What you think you're doing for yourself, okay, how many type A people do we have in the house? Raise your hand. I'm not gonna raise my hand too high because I'm a sweater, but if you're type A, raise your hand. Okay. This is hard, we love control. If they're not on time, cut them off. They missed their opportunity. Uh, let me tell you this. I'm a task person. Um, I'm, a, I'm a task person. In fact, uh, I'm going on a, on a mission trip. I've never been out of the country. I'm going to Guatemala in September. Um, and we, uh, we did this little personality thing, and, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, Guatemala, really, Jared? The first time? I don't know. And it was task and people, if you're people-oriented and task-oriented. And they did this thing where they showed the average of our team. And they're all kind of in the people area and way down here in the task area. <laughs> Jared, I'm like, that's fine. We're, uh, we're building something. So I, I, I might not help, but I can keep us on task. I'm the task person. And so self-help to me is, is very important because uh, I, I work at a church and I, I work at a church with uh, just a lot of personalities and it's a young team. And there's a lot of times that there's a lot going on in our team. And, and my, my thought process is, hey, we can deal with that later. We can deal with the people junk later. We can deal with how sad you are in your tears later. We got to cross, we got to make the checklist. We got to cross it off, you know? <laughs> Am I lying? No. I'm not lying at all. Come on, we want to do things ourselves. All the other stuff can wait, but we want to do things ourselves. And here Jesus is saying, hey, self-help, it's no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. It's my way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul 
Jesus is calling and saying, hey, deny yourself, leave everything where you are and come and follow me. And our American dream says, I've got to get, get, get. I've got to take, take, take. I've got to hoard, hoard, hoard. And what, at the end of our lives, we see the stuff around us. And you know what the question is? What legacy am I going to leave on this earth? And Jesus is saying, hey, if you follow me, I'm going to pass this off to you. And the things that I've done, you're going to do greater things than those. Can I tell you why it's so emotional? for me to be at the bridge? Because there's some of you, a lot of you that I don't even know, but can I tell you like just the selfish part of me? I feel like I played a part in that, that I've got a legacy here at the bridge that I helped start this thing. And yeah, I'm not here every single day, but man, I'm still praying over you. And there's something inside of me. It's like, man, I was a part of starting that. So when I see new people, I played a part in that. So it cost us something, but what does it? Okay, when it comes to brass tacks, it costs us something, but what is something? What is the what? Jesus says, you're gonna deny yourself. Everything that you want, all of your desires, all of your fleshly wants, they're gone. My will in your life is what matters. Colossians chapter three, verses two through four says this, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you, you, everybody say you. Everybody say me. me, because when he says you, it means me. For I died and my life is hidden with Christ. Man, everything that I want, everything that I desire, this, this idea of living sacrifices, that yes, we are still alive, we are still breathing, but we have laid ourselves on the altar of God for him to do what he wants to with us. And can I tell you, one of the biggest things that it costs us to follow Jesus is this, is our community in relationships. Think about this. Peter, James, and John, when Jesus called them, they left their jobs. They left their family immediately. I don't even know if they said goodbye. They just went and followed Jesus because they knew who he was. When Jesus calls us out of certain things, there's certain places that we're not going to go anymore. There's certain people that just aren't going to get it. We're not going to be able to take them along for the journey. And on the switch side, when we make that decision, there's going to be people that look at us and say, hey, I don't want any part of that anymore. It's going to cost us something. It cost Peter and James and John their livelihood and their family, but they knew that the mission was greater. So Jesus calls ordinary people. That following Jesus costs us something. But can I tell you something really great? That Jesus' way is always better. Jesus' way is always better. If there is nothing that you get from this message, I want you to get this question right here. That God is calling you today to follow him. What is he asking for you to leave behind today? What is he asking for you to immediately drop at his feet to follow him? Because can I tell you about the, about the disciples? They didn't hem-haw around. Now, hem-haw in Arkansas means they didn't think about it. They didn't procrastinate about it. They didn't weigh the pros and the cons. They just immediately dropped everything and followed him. Can I tell you what procrastination does to us? 
man, we start getting in our own head, right? We start thinking about it. Maybe Jesus's way isn't as good as my way. Man, if I can just, if I can just do what I want to for a little bit longer, no, Jesus is asking for you to immediately do it today, yeah. today. Yeah. Um, the, the really, really cool thing about being here is I'm not gonna be here next week. So whatever I say, it, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't have to like answer for that next week. So I'm about to say something about giving and I can do that because I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> but I wrote down Dustin's cell phone number. So if you have a problem with what I'm about to say, <laughs> write this down. 636, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the Bible talks about giving. And what does it tell us that we need to give? We need to give of our first fruits. Do you know why the Bible tells us to give us of our first fruits? Because if we wait, then that money goes to something else. And then we decide we need this and we want this and we start doing that. And then we say, hey, Jesus, I brought you my leftovers. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to be the sole priority in your life. I want to be the main thing. That's why when you get that, I want you to do it first. I want you to do it immediately. So a decision for you today is what can I lay down? Not three months from now, not six months from now, but what has God been wrestling in your heart that I can lay down and immediately leave to follow him more closely? Because it costs us something, but what Jesus provides is always better. It's always better. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they gave up a lot to follow Jesus. And if I'm being very honest, if Jesus came to me right now and said, hey, hey, Jared, I need you to just lay down all of your job and everything that you have accumulated and you, you just need to leave your family. I, 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 as the person standing on the stage, I'll tell you, that's really, really hard for me to wrestle with. That's a really, really hard thing for me to wrestle with. But can I tell you this? The thing that we have to remember that what Jesus provides is always better. And when I say that, there's probably two groups of people in here that can relate to that. Number one, they've been through some things. There's some people that have been through some things and they're on the other side of that now. And they're saying, hey, I can testify that what Jesus provides is always better. But there's probably a second group of people that are in the thick of it right now. And it's not a testimony of what God has done. It's a prayer of just, of anguish. It's a prayer of expectation that says, hey God, I know I'm in it right now. I know I don't see the way out. I know I don't see the light of the end of the tunnel, but I believe because I've decided to follow you that what you provide is better than where my life is right now. It's better than where my life is right now. Peter, James, and John, we talked about this. Andrew, they decided to follow Jesus and their life was better. They saw Jesus every single day. They learned from Jesus. They saw miracles, signs, and wonders. In fact, they did miracles and signs and wonders themselves. Can you imagine being the 12, the 12 disciples when Jesus just turns a boy's lunch into food for everyone and you're picking up the scraps and you're like, dude, this is awesome. Remember when I made that decision to follow him and leave the, leave the lake and leave the boats and leave the fish and leave my father? How awesome is this right now? Jesus' way is always better. I want to tell you about another story that happens in Matthew. Jesus has an interaction, not with his disciples, but there's a man that comes to him. We know him as the rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus says, 
learn the scriptures, do what they say. And he says, hey, I've already done that. From, a, from the youngest age, I've already committed myself to scripture. I follow those. And Jesus requires something of him that he doesn't require of a lot of people. He says, go right now, immediately sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. The Bible sometimes I feel like is sarcastic. He was very rich. And here he is talking to Jesus who owns the cattle on a thousand hill. The Bible says that the earth is his throne and the or I'm sorry, heaven is his throne and earth is just his footstool. But he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. And Jesus continues to talk to his disciples. And, and Peter, if you know Peter, Peter's just the guy that like talks first and thinks later. Um, he's the one that's got a bad attitude. I, I mean, I'm not saying that I, I, equate, I equate myself with Peter, but if I were a disciple, I might be Peter on the basketball court. Peter's wills are turning. And he's remembering that interaction that he had with Jesus and the interaction that just happened with the, the rich young ruler. And Peter opens his mouth in the middle of Jesus' teaching and says, Jesus, but look at us. That guy went away sorrowful because he didn't leave everything and follow you. But look what we did. We left everything to follow you. Just almost in this moment of pride, like, hey, look what he didn't do, look what I did. And Jesus responds this way in Matthew chapter 19, verses 29 through 30. He says this, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, man, he's crossing the, everything off the list right now. For my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. What is Jesus saying here? Yeah, following me costs something and it might cost fathers and mothers and fields and houses and children. But everyone that makes that decision, I'm gonna bless them times as much. When I hear a hundred times as much, I'll be honest, I work in finance at the church and my, my mind automatically goes to money. So if Jesus is gonna, if he's gonna bless me a hundred times as much, if I put a dollar in the offering, I'm gonna get a hundred dollars in return? You talk about an ROI, am I right? But the thing is, Jesus doesn't require our stuff a lot. What we talked about, Jesus, most of the time, what we have to leave is community and relationships. So if we have to leave mother and father and sister and brother and children, and he's promised us to bless us a hundred times as much, then this is the question that we have to ask. When I walk into the bridge on a Sunday morning, do I feel a hundred times as blessed as what I came from. All right, I'm gonna talk to two different people and then we'll close, okay? <clears throat> I'm gonna talk to everyone that's a Christian. They call Bridge Home. This is your church. This is your home. We have this promise from Jesus that says, hey, there's people that have left things and when they come in here, 
I'm gonna bless them as 100 times as much. Can I tell you this? This is one of the promises that for, in order for Jesus' promise to come true, it requires you. It requires you. And so many times we can walk into a building with our head held high. We're thinking about our own problems. We think about what we have to do on Monday, what we have to finish before work starts. And we don't realize that there are people that are leaving some things. And can I tell you this? They're not looking for the prosperity gospel. They're not probably looking, how can I make more money? How can I acquire more wealth? They're just saying, I wanna drop the heavy burden that I am carrying at Jesus' feet and I want some people to walk alongside with me. So Bridge Church, can I, can I ask you this? If I said, is this promise true in this church? The people that walk in, they feel a hundred times as blessed and your answer is yes, then we are fulfilling the pro promises of Jesus. But the, if the answer is no, some work to do. Meet the new people. Invest in people's lives. First impression is not the only impression. There are second impressions and third impressions and community groups and inviting people over to your house to commune with them. That is what people want from you. Okay, I'm leaving tomorrow. Dustin's cell phone number. Text him if, if that frustrates you. Maybe you are new today. Maybe you haven't been to church in a really long time. And the cost of what Jesus requires scares you. I promise you there's person after person after person that would stand up and say, I don't know how to explain it. I can't put it in dollars and cents, but Jesus's way is just better. It's just better. Jesus calls ordinary people. Yes, it requires something from us. It costs something of us, but it's always better. His way is always better. Can I pray for you? God, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the worship that tuned our hearts to what you would have to say to us. God, I thank you for the privilege of just speaking your word to these people. But I feel that you are not done yet. God, you're, the Bible tells us that your word is quicker, quick and powerful. It's sharp like a two-edged sword. And I, I pray that you're, you're dissecting some things in us right now, that your sword, that your word is penetrating our heart right now to say, Jared, you've got to get rid of some things. You've got to leave some things here today. You've got to come and follow me closer. What I have for you is so much better than what you have for yourself. God, help us to realize that we are ordinary people. God, sometimes we get tripped up on that ordinary piece and it's a, it, it's a positive thing in, in the fact that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be the best, but you call ordinary people. But there's also a, a negative connotation that just like, I feel like I'm just one of a billion. feel like you're just churning people out, you're churning your will out, and, and, and there's no getting off of this treadmill, but God, help us to realize today that you walk in repetitiveness as well, that you walk in monotony, that it's not you just creating us and leaving us, but you love to commune with your 
people every single day. I'm gonna pray one more prayer if everyone can keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Maybe that's you today. You are new in this place. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe this is your first time here and something is just tugging at your heart. And you're saying today, I just want a better way. I want Jesus's way. I've tried my way over and over and over and over again, but I want Jesus's way. I'd love to pray for you, but before I do that, can I just know who I'm praying for? And if that's you, just boldly lift your hand right now so I know who I'm praying for. Boldly lift your hand. Awesome. I see a couple hands. Let me pray over you. God, we thank you for your word. We stand on the promises of God that it costs us something, but your word tells us that your burden is light and your yoke is easy. And we take that on today. Your word tells us that if we believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouth, that we can be followers of you. So today we believe in our heart that you are Lord of all. We confess that God, our way is not the right way. Self-help is no help at all, but we confess our sins to you and say, we lay it down at your altar and we are committed to following you. And your word tells us that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. So today we will we rejoice with those that made that decision today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate to God this morning?